October. When Marty Kozlaw comes home from trick-or-treating on Halloween night with the batteries in his wheelchair all but dead flat, he goes directly to bed, where he lies awake until the half-moon rises in a cold sky strewn with stars like diamond chips. Outside, on the veranda where his life was saved by a string of Fourth of July firecrackers, a chill wind blows brown leaves and swirling, aimless corkscrews on the flagstones. They rattle like old bones. The October full moon has come and gone in Tarker's Mills, with no new murder. The second month in a row this has happened. Some of the townspeople, Stan Pelkey, the barber, is one, and Cal Baldwin, who owns Baldwin Chevrolet, the town's only car dealership, is another, believe that the terror is over. The killer was a drifter, or a tramp living out in the woods, and now he has moved on, just as they said he would. Others, however, are not so sure. These are the ones who do a long reckoning on the four deer found slaughtered out by the turnpike the day after the October full moon, and upon Elmer Zinnerman's eleven pigs, killed at full moon time in September. The argument rages at the pub over beers during the long autumn nights. But Marty Kozlaw knows. This night he has gone out trick-or-treating with his father, his father likes Halloween, likes the brisk cold, likes to laugh his hearty big pal laugh and bellow such idiotic things as hey hey and ring dang do when the doors open and familiar Tarker's Mills faces look out. Marty went as Yoda, a big rubber Don Post mask pulled down over his head and a voluminous robe on which covered his wasted legs. You always get everything you want. Katie says with a toss of her head when she sees the mask. But he knows she isn't really mad at him. And as if to prove it, she makes him an artfully crooked Yoda staff to complete his getup. But perhaps sad because she is now considered too old to go out trick-or-treating. Instead, she will go to a party with her junior high school friends. She will dance to Donna Summer Records and bob for apples, and later on the lights will be turned down for a game of spin the bottle, and she will perhaps kiss some boy. Not because she wants to, but because it will be fun to giggle about it with her girlfriends in study hall the next day. Marty's dad takes Marty in the van because the van has a built-in ramp he can use to get Marty in and out. Marty rolls down the ramp and then buzzes up and down the streets themselves in his chair. He carries his bag on his lap and they go to all the houses on the road and then to a few houses downtown. The Collinses, the McInns, the Manchesters, the Milkins, the Eastons. There is a fishbowl full of candy corn inside the pub. Snickers bar at the Congregational Church Parsonage and Chunky bars at the Baptist Parsonage. Then on to the Randolphs, the Quins, the Dixons, and a dozen, two dozen more. Marty comes home with his bag of candy bulging and a piece of scary, almost unbelievable knowledge. He knows. He knows who the werewolf is. At one point on Marty's tour, the beast himself, 
now safely between its moons of insanity, has dropped candy into his bag, unaware that Marty's face has gone deadly pale under his Don Post Yoda mask, or that beneath his gloves, his fingers are clutching his Yoda staff so tightly that the fingernails are white. The werewolf smiles at Marty and pats his rubber head. But it is the werewolf. Marty knows. And not just because the man is wearing an eye patch, there is something else. Some vital similarity in this man's human face to the snarling face of the animal he saw on that silvery summer night almost four months ago now. Since returning to Tarker's Mills from Vermont the day after Labor Day, Marty has kept a watch. Sure that he will see the werewolf sooner or later. And sure that he will know him when he does because the werewolf will be a one-eyed man. Although the police nodded and said they would check it out when he told them he was pretty sure he had put out one of the werewolf's eyes, Marty could tell they didn't really believe him. Maybe that's because he is just a kid. Or maybe it's because they weren't there on that July night when the confrontation took place. Either way, it doesn't matter. He knew it was so. Tarker's Mills is a small town, but it is spread out, and until tonight, Marty has not seen a one-eyed man and has not dared to ask questions. His mother is already afraid that the July episode may have permanently marked him. He is afraid that if he tries any out-and-out sleuthing, it will eventually get back to her. Besides, Tarker's Mills is a small town. Sooner or later, he will see the beast with his human face on. Going home, Mr. Coslaw, Coach Coslaw, to his thousands of students, past and present, thinks Marty is so quiet because the evening and the excitement of the evening has tired him out. In truth... This is not so. Marty has never, except on the night of the wonderful bag of fireworks, felt so awake and alive. And his principal thought is this. It had taken him almost 60 days after returning home to discover the werewolf's identity because he, Marty, is a Catholic and attends St. Mary's on the outskirts of town. The man with the eye patch the man who dropped a chunky bar into his bag and then smiled and patted him on the top of his rubber head is not a Catholic. Far from it. The beast is the Reverend Lester Lowe of the Grace Baptist Church. Leaning out the door, smiling, Marty sees the eye patch clearly in the yellow lamplight falling through the door. It gives the mousy little reverend an almost piratical look. Sorry about your eye, Reverend Lowe, Mr. Coslaw said in his booming, big pal voice. Hope it's nothing serious. The Reverend Lowe's smile grew long-suffering. Actually, he said, he had lost the eye. A benign tumor. It had been necessary to remove the eye to get at the tumor, but it was the Lord's will, and he was adjusting well. He had patted the top of Marty's whole head mask again and said that some he knew had heavier crosses to bear. So now Marty lies in his bed, listening to the October wind sing outside, rattling the season's last leaves. 
hooting dimly through the eye holes of the carven pumpkins which flank the Kozlaw driveway, watching the half-moon ride the star-scudded sky. The question is this. What is he to do now? He doesn't know, but he feels sure that in time the answer will come. He sleeps the deep, dreamless sleep of the very young while outside the river of wind blows over Tarker's mills, washing out October and bringing in cold, star-shot November, autumn's iron month. <laughs>